welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. How are you doing today, Wendy? I'm good, Marty. How are you? Well, you know, I should be like, take a guess where I'm at today. So <laughs> I have a feeling you know, you probably know these surroundings well being out in Arizona. All too well. So welcome to Phoenix Sky Harbor there, Marty. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I requested them to play, you know, some mellow music in the background. Hopefully they don't, you know, make any major announcements. But, you know, we're just on the road bringing it to the people, right? That's right. You know what? Do what you got to do. And that's, you know, one of the great things about what we do is we can make sure that we get on. And that kind of brings us up to what our, our webinar is today, which is you asked and we answered. Um, we get a lot of these questions off of the Facebook page. Um, if you guys are not a part of the NASM Certified Personal Trainer Facebook play, page and you have questions and you want us to answer them or, you know, we have a lot of our master instructors that are a part of that team that get on and try to provide insight as well as an unbelievable community of people that have various backgrounds and, you know, time in the field where I, you know, I love being a part of the page, but um, some of the questions we pulled out, I think are commonly asked. And I know Marty and I were talking and, and based on feedback, you guys would like us to do this throughout the year. So we will. Um, so if you have any specific questions that you would like for us to share, or you think that, um, you know, we, we could provide some deeper insight through a webinar, please be sure to email us or put it on the Facebook page and say, hey, put this on your next webinar. Yeah, and we always get our confirmation. You can hit us up on Instagram or email. And honestly, Wendy and I both, we love doing this, but most importantly, we love doing this because we want to make sure that you all get what you need. It's not about us creating content that we want to talk about. We only want to talk about things that you want to hear about. So Wendy, with that being said, how about you kick us off? Yeah, so if we look at you know what we're going to talk about, we like we just said, we really want to be here for you. I mean, part of us as mentors and growing in the field, um, Marty and I, I mean, Marty's one of my mentors as well. I come to him with questions. You know, obviously my husband's in the field, so I get to, you know, bounce ideas off of him. But having people that you can, you know, lean on and, you know, kind of bounce ideas off of, I think is really, really important. So Marty and I really want to stress that we want to be here for you. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the different resources. I mean, I, I did mention the Facebook page. So if you are a certified personal trainer through NASM, be sure to go onto that page. Um, we just check your credentials and then we allow you to come into that community. But most importantly, as Marty just said, keep the questions coming because we want to make sure that we are answering your questions and we are going into detail on things that may be a little confusing or you're just not sure what to do. Yeah. And I think the key thing is, you know, you can have the resources like the textbook and the videos. And sometimes when those uh, things don't click, if you don't reach out, you have to keep rereading it or rewatching it. And sometimes it does click, but sometimes just hearing somebody else's explanation or going into what we've done in our career, people get that aha moment. So that's why we're here. Yeah. And unfortunately, because we've had a long time, I mean, I say unfortunately, because it means that we are getting older. Um, I still feel like a kid at heart. And Marty, I know you do as well. But, um, you know, we've we've been through a lot. We've seen a lot. And, you know, we've we've had different people come to us with different experiences. So we actually had to do research to try to help them through it. And we are happy to keep doing that for you as well. Without a doubt. So question one here, Wendy, I'll, I'll read it and let you jump in here. So if you do an assessment on a client and then you don't see them again for months, do you do another assessment or do you just move on? 
Well, if you're asking me what I would do, and again, a lot of this is based on what we have done and, and the rationales of why we, we have maybe that answer. So my, my answer is yes, if somebody comes in and it doesn't matter if they're brand new, it doesn't matter if I, it, you know, they've been gone for a couple months, things change, life happens, you know, different situations occur, different stresses are happening, and that can affect overall how you move, um, you know, whether you're moving better or there's more dysfunction. If you, you know, sprained an ankle a couple months ago and then you came in, it can totally change how you're moving when we're doing that assessment. So I reassess everyone um, every four to six weeks anyway. Um, so yes, I personally would say if they, they haven't been coming in, just to make sure, because again, your programs are only as good as your assessments. And as we've said multiple times, if you're not assessing, you're guessing. And so we want to make sure that we are getting that client on the right track from the very beginning. And if you don't have those answers from the start, then you really are just kind of picking random exercises for the sake of them moving versus something that's going to help them move better. Yeah, and I agree 100%, Wendy. You know, of course, you know, I'm going to answer the same way. So just to add a little, you know, a different view on it is maybe this person does wants to get right back into the workout, you know, by Wendy and I doing thousands of assessments we can watch somebody do a body weight squat we can watch somebody then we could have them do a, a lunge or a split stance lunge they could think that they're doing you know a exercise program but we're just now assessing them as we get them moving into things but wendy and i both love the formal assessments but do understand that every exercise every rep especially after you've done hundreds of movement assessments you're going to get the answers there so you still have a little leeway if the person's giving you a little pushback on a formal assessment. Yeah. And if they come back in and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. What have you been up to? Hey, all I want you to do, let's take your shoes off really quick. And I want you to get into the five, five kinetic chain checkpoints, which at that point, if they've been with me, they know what that is. If not, I show them briefly and say, put your hands up. Let me just have you squat a few times and see, see if I've noticed any differences. It's as simple as that guys. Like it does not have to be this 10 minute assessment process that maybe you did in the very beginning because you already know their history. I mean, and again, while they're squatting, you can ask if there's any changes of medication or, hey, has anything happened um, since the last time I saw you? Meaning, you know, you know, has, you know, low back pain, any discomfort? Have you noticed any changes in how you feel? You can ask all of that at the same time. It doesn't have to take a long time. And then just streamline them right into whatever you thought you were probably gonna be doing, which I'm sure if they're coming back, you're probably thinking of phase one. Um, but you can make sure at that point after the first session, if there are changes and let's say they worked out for two months and you didn't see them, they could be moving even better than you expected. Then throw that into a superset right then and there. Like you can already do the stabilization that you had planned. And then at the second moment, you could add, um, you know, like you throw in a strength and then you could reverse it at that point. So, so, you know, just, there are ways that you can change things on the fly, the fly when they come back, but always reassess because, you know, that's really going to help that client hit that goal faster. And you can feel better as a trainer that you're doing a better service and not a disservice by not doing something along those lines. Great point, Wendy. For those of you who just joined us today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, I'm Master Instructor Marty Miller here with fellow Master Instructor Miss Wendy Batts. And we are covering You Asked, We Answered. And speaking of that, Wendy, we've got a question coming in here. It says, hello, I do body weight training. And honestly, the easiest is air squats. And yet I get uh, got a muscle tear in my quads twice. What should I pay attention to to avoid new injuries? So 
here we go. So scope of practice is we're not here to deal with injuries. Now, these things can occur during a fitness program. So if you are injured, you're going to want to seek out a medical professional, a physical therapist, athletic trainer, your physician, come back to your movement assessment, and you may need to focus on a corrective exercise strategy first. Mm-hmm. And Marty, with you, you know, too, being an athletic trainer, I mean, unfortunately, you've probably seen many tears in your, in your, you know, past Um, you know, I know it does take some time and sometimes doing too much too fast, obviously is going to make that worse. So in your, because your scope of practice is a little bit different. Um, what do you do with some athletes or or clients that may have that issue? Yeah. First thing we're going to do is the assessment process, right? We're going to go back to what was the cause of it? Was it a movement assessment? Did they, you know, not sleep well? Did they not warm up well? Whatever. We're going to bring all that into it. But generally speaking, there's movement dysfunction there or an increased overload of volume of training, if it's a non-contact type of injury, and then we're gonna reverse engineer that. Most of the times, if you're having something in your quads, they're probably overactive, very tight, you're not going through your foam rolling, your tissue preparation, the static stretching to get that range of motion in, and maybe there's uh, too much of an intensity to go right into a strength or power phase type of program. Yeah. And I mean, there are a bunch of like recovery tools too, that you could look into as well. Um, that can kind of sometimes help with, you know, alleviating some of that discomfort. If there's swelling, I mean, you want to look into possibly contrast of like hot and cold. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, do- a lot of different things that you could do to kind of help it yourself. Um, but definitely, I mean, you know, if, if it keeps reoccurring and you know that you're doing everything quote right, meaning that you've gone through the assessment, you feel like you're, you know, you're doing the right things. It doesn't matter if it's body weight or loaded. There's obviously something that's irritating that one area that it keeps reoccurring. So at that point, definitely I would, I would seek out a medical profession, just professional, just to be safe. It's better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. That's the key thing. Now that's happened twice. Let's take a next step maybe possibly and see if some, uh, the next step could be, you know, getting to a medical professional to see if there's something that uh, has been missed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. Question number two, I'm a newly certified, you know, CPT certified with no training experience. Okay. That's very common that we notice on the page. So first of all, welcome to personal training. Everyone has to start somewhere. Um, I really need in-person mentorship and an apprenticeship. Jeez, I can't even talk today. Sorry. I know I can practice on friends and family, but that won't do much to help my career take off. Any advice? Yeah, so I'll jump in here first. So I think the key thing is you may need to hire a personal trainer. Now, when I say that is make sure that the person is practicing the model the way you want to be able to learn it, right? Because there's a lot of people that have taken the NASM CPT and sometimes they don't fully embrace it and they go into other things or sometimes they could be coming from a different background and don't have this evidence-based approach. So make sure you pick your mentor, Wendy, as you've said before, correctly. Uh, they may not charge you. You may or choose to work in a place and you might have to be a front desk person for a while, even if you are newly certified or maybe you're just working your way in, but surround yourself with people that you want to learn from. And a true story, Wendy knows this, when I wanted to become an NASM instructor, I figured, okay, if I'm the, and I'm just saying this for me, if I'm the dumbest one in that group, they're going to help raise me to another level. And I think what I'm trying to say here is, Find people that you emulate to learn from and be like and put yourself in that situation regardless whether they have a job for you or not. But then also we have a bunch of other resources. Continue to come to our Master Instructor Roundtables. I have our Tuesday Coffee Talk. Wendy and Ken Miller do um, Random Fit, which would have some practical applications. 
check out Optima. See, you know, stay on uh, NASM's website to see if we go back with live content. Those would be some, I think, great next steps. And I'm sure Wendy's going to have some stuff to add to that as well. Yeah. And I mean, again, when you're thinking about the apprenticeship or you're thinking about mentorships and everything, shadowing people, to, Marty, to your point, super, super important. And I know when I was working full time at a, you know, at a gym, I would have people shadow with me all the time because at that point I'm kind of helping them through and talking through my exercise selection. And then they're hearing how I'm cueing and setting people up just to make sure that, you know, they felt more comfortable when they had new people coming in or they started working with people that they felt comfortable with the exercises that they were choosing and having that rationale as to why. Um, I think, you know, when, when people are new, they're kind of scared to reach out, but don't be because at the end of the day, I know people like myself, I really want to help people. And I didn't charge people to shadow, but I had to get approval just so you know, you have to get approval too to your clients to say, are you okay if I bring someone along? They're just here to learn. And then a lot of times my clients actually embrace that because they hear why I'm doing what I'm doing when I'm doing it. And, you know, if they didn't understand at one point why I had them doing a balance exercise, but I might explain it to them a little bit more, then it actually lets the client know too how much I care about the choices and exercises that I'm performing. So if you have people in your community and you feel like, okay, you know what, I've been doing this for a long time and you know people that are new, then maybe, you know, reach out and say, hey, you're welcome to shadow with me and all those, all that. Um, if you're, if you are new and you want to approach people, it's okay to ask them because I mean, all they can say is no, but you know what, they may say yes. And that might be what you hold on to. And so that's first. And then to Marty's point, guys, if there are so many different conferences out there and eventually we're hoping that Optima will also be back in person soon. Um, but going to these different conferences and meeting different fitness professionals, getting to know them. You may see that somebody's right in your back, you know, back door and you didn't even know it. And then you can start building relationships. And I mean, that's actually how Marty, myself, my husband, all of us became master instructors is because we became that thorn that kept asking all the questions and kept showing up all the time because we wanted that information and we wanted to keep learning. So, I mean, you have multiple options. And like Marty said, you know, use all the NASM resources, use our podcast webinars, email us if you want. But um, most importantly, it's really good to connect with someone in person, but obviously keep practicing, you know, your assessments on your friends and family, because when you become very um, good at identifying things right then and there, it's only going to help you when you actually start working with your clients. And Wendy, every time you talk about us becoming instructors, I get deja vu to when we were sitting at that Starbucks. I'll just... Oh my gosh, Starbucks and then also, yes, (laughs) so just so you guys know, back in the day when Marty and I um, became master instructors, you actually had to try out, I mean, this is totally off topic, but you actually had to try out to become a master instructor. It wasn't something that NASM contacted us and said, hey, we know that you're really all about the model and we think you're good, had nothing to do with that. It was four positions or four people applied for two positions and that we had to be able to listen to what people were saying. We had to teach PowerPoints. We actually had to do, you know, put these, like the masterminds of NASM who were writing the textbook through workouts, doing queuing, setting everything up, and then answering questions along the way that sometimes threw you like completely off what you thought they were gonna ask. And they were asking very specific questions. Um, 
you know, and then at that point you had to sit down and then you found out two days later, you had to fly yourself down, put yourself up. And then two days later, find out if you got the job. <laughs> so needless to say, they couldn't decide on any of us. So they decided to hire all of us. And, um, and it worked out really great because we're all still very close. And again, a very tight knit family because we all went through the same process of getting started. So. And that's where I learned not only so much over the last three, four days, I learned about chai lattes from Starbucks. So you never know. Yeah, it's just one of those things. <laughs> yes, I love chai lattes, so guys. So I, but I only get three months to this day, five. 18 years, just, 18 yes. years later. Still, <laughs> still, still. So anyway, guys, if you're just tuning in, Marty Miller and I are on the Master Instructor Roundtable today talking about questions that you asked. So we want to answer um, again, thanks for the questions. And, and if you guys are joining us live, please put it in the comments, like ask us any questions because we're just pulling some of the random ones that we have recently gotten. But if you're joining in and you have a question for us now, we would love to be able to help answer that question before we, we end our session today. Love it. So here we go. Question three. So clients that come in super excited for about two weeks and then their excitement drops or they stop showing up. What are the best ways to get the excitement back? What are some questions you ask your clients to help them without sounding mean? So, Wendy, I'll throw a couple of things out there, and I want to hear, obviously, I know you have great strategies. But, Wendy, you know this. This is really why I studied what I did with my doctorate. I needed to know why people didn't want to exercise or how they were motivated, right? Because we all know, you could ask a fifth grader, is exercise good for us? And everyone says yes, but less than probably 20% of the people do it consistently. So I was missing that gap. So really it comes down to motivational strategies. Everyone has a different type of motivational strategy, but if you can immediately build rapport and immediately uncover what motivates them or what, let's just say what their why is from there, everything I ask them to do, I'm going to tie back to their why, whether it's that they have a goal of, they want to run a 5k, whether it's that they're more afraid that they were going to get hurt or they, you know, they need to know why we're doing all these things. Those are kind of like the three main strategies. So if I can speak to that person in a way that they process information, tie it back to their goal, now it shouldn't be as hard for them to stay motivated. I'm speaking their language, and I'm going to politely hold them accountable. Wendy, you know that I would do this. If Wendy called me up and said, hey, Marty, I can't make it this Tuesday, I'd be like, okay, how's Wednesday? And, well, you know, if I start to feel that kind of hesitation, I'll be like, Wendy, remember, we're five weeks away from your 5K. This is all about you. We put together a program. We need to get this done so when you go on that 5k you're gonna succeed and when you can map that out tie it to their true motivation a lot of the excuses tend to go away so wendy mm -hmm. i'd love to hear what you have to say yeah and and you know this is hard because you when you say why does the excitement drop i mean every single time a client comes to me it's like oh my gosh it's so good to see you how is the family how are you feeling how did you feel after our last workout Again, you want them to really feel like it's when they walk into that session, it's truly about them. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I know as myself being a mom and the jobs that I have, it's really hard to make time for me. So when somebody is kind of bloating and, and you know, was all about like myself and, and people really want to know more about me, it actually helps build that rapport and that relationship. And so I think it's really trying to make sure that when you are building your rapport, that you're making it fun, exciting, you know, it's not about you. You can leave your drama, your family issues, everything should be left at the door because again, every person that's paying you for that hour or however long they're with you, it needs to really focus on just them for that hour. 
I mean, again, over time, I've had some clients for many, many years. I can't get rid of, but they're like family to me. I mean, you know, we exchange gifts. They invite me over for Thanksgiving dinner. And that's the, you know, I think that's one of the things that is very important in order to maintain the relationship. Again, I don't go out to bars with them. I don't do anything that's like that because that to me is an extreme no-no. But for me, you know, really making sure that the time is quality, but then also too about them first and foremost. Second thing too, we even have it in our template now because we've heard this over and over again. When people are designing a program and when first somebody comes in and meets with you, find out the exercises that they like. Because if you're always giving them exercises that they feel that they're not doing well on, they're too hard, they're sore as hell the next day, and they have no desire to come back because every time they leave you, they feel worse, then it's not a good experience. And why would they want to come back? So, you know, doing what you need to do to better their movement patterns, explaining why the program is built that way, but sprinkling in something under the client's choice is always something, too, that lets them do the things that they want to do. And if it's something that you feel is definitely inappropriate and it's not safe for them, find another, talk through another exercise that might be better for them and explain, well, okay, you know what, we might be able to do this one in a couple of weeks, but in the meantime, what else can we do now? Like, is it a certain type of bicep curls, a certain type of, you know, give them options because they may not know. So, you know, a lot of that. And if anybody knows Wendy, she always brings up bicep curls because she's all about the gun show. So that, that, that was you put in there on purpose. Bam. No, I don't want to be, it's very intimidating. <laughs> I know. I know you, you guys settle down now, but, uh, right. But yeah, that's a hard one. But again, I think, you know, your personality should come out when you're working with your clients. And that really, really does help kind of bring them and motivate them. And, and as Marty said, bringing them back to that goal, like, hey, I really want to help you reach this goal. And you got to allow me to do that. So let's let's make this fun together. And um, let me do my job to get there. <laughs> Love it. So as we move into question four, for those of you just joining in, myself, Marty Miller here with Wendy Bats on the Master Instructor Roundtable. We are here. It's all about you. You ask, we're going to answer, right? So this is what this is about. So if you're joining in live, please don't hesitate to put a question in. But we're going to move into question four. Wendy, I'll set you up for this one. So just found out today that I have my first session with a nine-year-old boy tomorrow. Totally new to training children, coached a lot, but this will be my first individual session with a child. It's only 30 minutes. So they assume it will be an assessment and they plan to prep for it. Of course, why not? That would be great. But can anyone with more experience in training children pass along any wisdom and ways the assessment is different from then within it with a view with an adult? Okay. So this is a loaded question. Um, first of all, the assessment should not be any different. I mean, in my, you know, like if you guys go through the content, you're going to see that this assessment is made from anyone from the time that they can walk, run, speak, do the things all the way up until they are literally cannot move anymore or they take their last breath. And we did that on purpose because there are so many different options. And so the, the only difference is, is, you know, again, you need to make it fun. And so usually the first time, if it's only 30 minutes, I inform the parents that the first session is really for me to get to know them better, to understand what their goals are and to do that assessment. And whether you know you charge them for that or not, that's a completely up to you. Some people do assessments for free and then they talk about the right process and programming. Um, I think that's, that's you know, one thing that you need to consider. If you do do payment, just let them know the first session really is for me to gather the information so I can write a program that's gonna really help accelerate the child's performance, especially if, 
you know, that, that child's going to be playing, you know, different types of sports. You want to know what type of sport it is. You want to know if it's rotational. You want to know if there's previous injuries. But then again, when you're actually building out the program, guys, follow the model because the, the model, again, is built for anybody to use. And when I say anybody, it's N-E-B-O-D-Y, anybody, any age. But your exercise selection may be different. You may want to, you know, um, think about you're not going to have them lift heavy bars, do Olympic lifting and that stuff if they're really young because you want to keep consideration of growth plates and what's appropriate for that particular individual, especially if they're nine years old. Um, however, body weight exercises, you know, changing directions, teaching them, you know, the importance of moving properly. So making sure that there's no dysfunction in that movement pattern and then making it fun. So, you know, making it a game, doing different types of, you know, maybe incorporating some different fun type things along with it, because that's going to keep that kid wanting to come back. But then you also know that you're designing that that program that's going to help that client no matter what age they are. No, Wendy, I think that I would agree 100% with you on all of that. Stabilization training, corrective exercise is going to be your friend for a long time. And Wendy, I'm going to use this to kind of tie into a question that came in from Nuko. I hope I'm saying it correct because there's going to be a tie here about, you know, people that don't move well. Children, we need to really pour in proper movement patterns at a very, very, very young age, right? That's only going to help them as they go forward. Hence why the model is corrective into stabilization endurance. So here we have a question, a new NASM trainer with a million questions. So what training method do you use with clients that have a difficult time doing everything, like simple basic movements, progressions of an exercise? So that is exactly why we do the assessment to find out what muscles are overactive and underactive, because sometimes that is causing them to not be able to move as you're asking them to move, right? Because they're using other movement patterning than from correct. So that's why we clean things up. But also that's why we start with stabilization. We're not worried about how much load you move. We're worried about how well you're starting to move at all. Are you learning how to do triple flexion, triple extension? Are you learning how to control your pelvis in a neutral position while you move your extremities or whatever we want to get into? The other thing too, Nugo, is if you can reverse engineer more complex movements. If I want to teach someone to do a squat, I'm going to start with a bridge, right? Let's forget all the warm-up that we would have done. Right, Because a bridge is a part of that triple flexion, triple extension that you'd see when somebody squats. I'm going to start with a plank. Maybe it's a plank on the knees. Maybe it's a high plank. Maybe it's a plank off a Smith machine. Because if I want them to squat properly, they're going to have to learn how to stabilize their core. So when you look at all of these types of movements, that's why we do it with very little load or no load, high volume. So your body can really dial in those movement patterns. Then you start to add some complexity to it. So look at the motion you're trying to accomplish, see how many little bits and pieces you can break that down into and use those as your regressions into a progression to where you might get a total body movement. Yeah. And, and I think to piggyback off of that with some of the other comments that you had made, I mean, is it okay to use machines? And the answer is yes. I mean, especially even in phase one, but you also too don't want them to become kind of lazy with the movement. And what I mean by that is if you're doing like a chest press on the machine, maybe don't have their back up against the, you know, the back, you scoot them forward. So they have to learn to engage their core and hold their, their shoulders upright. And then, you know, say, okay, you can follow along that movement. Do you see that kind of line that your arms are going into? Because that's where the machine is directing it to. 
So, and then reassure that, or, you know, kind of reinforce when we do a chest movement, we want to stay within this line of, you know, movement. So then they start to understand what you're trying to teach them. And then, you know, again, once they start to build a good foundation and, and you do the, the exercises like Marty, you know, had suggested, you know, don't, don't do the hard ones up front, you know, like do a plank against the wall. So, you know, like, Hey, when I want you to do this, I want you to put your hands like this. When we eventually move you down, you're going to be supported on a bench or even on the floor, but the movement pattern is still the same. Um, you know, if you're trying to teach someone how to do a squat and they, you know, they don't know how to do it, like to Marty's point, once you've got them doing the bridges and you're, you know, really teaching glute activation, well, now really to start engaging the quad and glute, which are the two prime movers of a squat, maybe you, you know, put a, a, a stability ball behind their back and try to guide them using the wall and then trying to help them making sure that the knees don't go into, you know, the, coming together so they don't adduct, they don't abduct, they, they maintain proper kinetic chain checkpoints. And or if you don't have a stability ball, like maybe use a Smith machine where they're holding on to the bar in front of a mirror, ideally, and then saying, this is what I want you to do. And maybe put a bench behind them where they like kind of tap down on the bench and then stand all the way up into full, you know, hip extension. So, you know, there are a lot of different ways. And if you're cueing, you feel like it's not really going the way that you intended. If you go to um, nasm.org and you look under resources, so if you go under trainer resources, our exercise library is there. And we actually went through a bunch of different exercises with, like, for example, I was one of the people that did it. I actually were, were cueing the person demoing it, how to do it. So then you can maybe hear and pick up some of my cues or, you know, these are the common compensations with this one exercise, but you can do this to help them get out of that. So maybe, maybe kind of look into the resources that we have, if not, if none of this is helping, um, because I'm hoping that, uh, you know, like don't get frustrated because people sometimes are just are not coordinated and they don't get it. But show, tell, do. Remember that because people learn by doing, but they need to see it and hear it. So show them, tell them, have them do it, and then help them. Great points, Wendy. Great points. So a couple key takeaways, right? Wendy, you and I say this all the time. You got to follow NASM on social media. You never know what content's going to come out there. We've got a new NASM uh, performance channel now. So there's going to be another way that you can follow uh, NASM on Instagram. Listen to our podcast. I, I mentioned, obviously, you guys are here today. We do this every Thursday. We've got a library. You can go back two years as well. There might be a topic that we did in 2020 that is the perfect opportunity for you to jump in on those. So you can go to NASM's YouTube channel and look those up as well or any place you get podcasts. Wendy, you did mention the NASM CPT Facebook page. And then, of course, reach out to us. As always, you know, we're not scary people. We might look that way, but we're not. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I've seen you train people. No, I'm shocking. Hey, on training on the floor, it's all business. But you know what? When we do our webinars and podcasts, we really want to be there for you and be open to the content. So if you guys have any other questions, I think um, let me look on the comments here before we end it. Um, Marty, this one I'm going to go ahead and read. And then I'll, I know your answer, so I'm going to have you go ahead and answer it. But would you recommend taking the PES course or the CES course first? Okay, so without me knowing someone's specific background, so let me make the assumption that you're coming through the fitness industry without uh, a background in sports medicine, physical therapy, something like that. You took the CPT, now you don't know which way of the bookends to go. 
myself and Wendy are always going to say the CES because we dive more into the functional anatomy. And that is the foundation for all improvements in human movement, right? Even if no, somebody's not injured or coming off an injury, everybody needs a targeted warm up to continue to move as best as they can. Or it's a great thing that they can do as a cool down as well too, right? You can use parts of those. So corrective exercise absolutely is the bedrock of everything built off it. That's why I see Wendy smiling because we're always in agreement. We, I think we share a brain sometimes. And then that could be scary. but That could be I'll, very scary, y'all. It is. It is. <laughs> that's why we're balls and laughing. But after 18 years of this, guys. And then the PES is the icing on the cake because everyone should aspire to get to some level of power. It does not matter who you train. Like everybody, like what are you saying? If my 75-year-old mom is training with me, she needs to do some level of power. So you get that already in the CPT. So you don't have to feel that anything's missing. Get your CES, lay that foundation, and then finish off with the high-end performance stuff. Yeah, I'm going to second that because, again, the new CES that, they, that just came out, I absolutely love that course. And I love it because they give you different ways to evaluate, um, you know, different types of assessments. So, again, you're probably very familiar with the transitional assessments, which are the overhead squat, single leg squat, and the things that require movement. But, you know, back in the day, we used to use that goniometer where we would have to measure different joints to find out, you know, how off are they from ideal well, the new content actually has mobility assessments that just by doing one or two different movements, you can see right then and there whether they passed it or failed it. Literally takes seconds. But then when you're designing a program, you know if it's if if they fail it, it's because those muscles are overactive and not allowing that joint to move freely. So you know you need to spend more time foam rolling and stretching. Um, if they passed it, but yet when they did their overhead squat, you saw multiple compensations then you know that it's actually weakness. And so it really does become more specific in your programming to help someone move better. But to Marty's point, the PES is, is you know, it's actually very, very good too, especially with what I do in my clientele. But in order to get them to that highest level and perform them doing 100% of their one rep max and really then doing explosive exercises um, to that type of level and then, you know, building programs off of that, I need them to move as ideal as they, you know, ideally as they possibly can. So I am also going to second the CES first, but I think you're going to actually love the PES as well. So it's really kind of what route do you want to go and what is your client? Where do you think you're going to get the most bang for your buck? But I can build my, I think I can honestly say, even though I work with professional athletes, I make my, my money maker is making people move and feel better. So I think it was due to the CES that helped guide me along that path. Agreed. So, Wendy, I think um, we're going to have some more questions coming in over the next couple of weeks. We will come back to this topic, I'm sure, a couple of times this year. But why don't you share your contact information with everybody? Yeah, if you guys have any other questions that you want us to share or like I said, you know, we'd love hearing from you guys. You can always find me um, on Instagram at Wendy.Bats13 or feel free to email me at Wendy.Bats at NASM.org. And then our amazing producer, Eric, who makes us always look so good. He's going to throw my stuff up here. So it's dr.martymiller72 and then email marty.miller at nesm.org. So Wendy, loved all the information you shared today. It's always the best time of the week. And for all of you that joined us, thank you. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.